diverse poetry scene. Poets using their voices to entertain, to move, to take you on a journey. Connecting you to grassroots poetry and performance. Welcome to the Spoken Word Show on 3CR Community Radio. My name is Brendan Bonsack. 3CR broadcasts from Wawandari land in the Kulin Nation, stolen land. We pay our respects to elders past and present. This always was and always will be Aboriginal land. On today's program, Waffle Iron Girl talks with poet and educator Claire Gaskin about her latest publications, Eurydice Speaks and Ismaini's Survivable Resistance, published by Hunter Publishers and Puncher and Watman, respectively. You can find Claire's work on the W's at clairegaskinpoetry.com. Today's interview deals with themes of sexual violence and abuse. And if you require, support is available at the Women's Information and Referral Exchange on 1300 134 130 or wire.org.au. Thank you for coming in, Claire Gaskin. Um, we have here today at 3CR Spoken Word, um, one of the leading lights of Melbourne poetry, teacher and poet, spoken word artist, in my opinion, Claire Gaskin. Um, and um, we're so grateful that she's come in and come to talk to us. Thank you very much for having me. Oh, that's very kind. I think you've covered it. <laughs> <laughs> Well, uh, one thing I haven't covered is um, you have had the very special experience of launching two books during um, the um, fun times we've been having with the lockdowns. Yeah, that's true. Um, Ismaini's Survivable Resistance and Eurydice Speaks were both launched um, last year. That doesn't mean they were written last year. People have said to me, oh, you were so busy, but... Um, As you're both laughing, you know that that's not how it works. So I think Eurydice Speaks I'd finished in 2017 um, and his main survivable resistance, well, probably in 19. So, um, yeah, they both, but they both happened to come out in 2021. Eurydice Speaks and Ismene's survivable resistance, um, both based on women from the Greek myths, Um, What's your fascination with that? I'm really interested in feminist repositionings and because I think we're informed by Greek mythology in Western thinking and in Western education, it's really foundational in how we think. And I think it was really foundational in the entrenching of patriarchy. So I think women love to to rewrite mythology, to reposition women as central to their own story and in Eurydice Speaks, you know, she doesn't have a voice in the in the mythology. And I really 
enjoyed the idea of giving her a voice and um, well, writing my own story through her in a contemporary era with the idea that speaking from the underworld is a valid place to, to speak from and that people who've experienced um, trauma or a broken narrative may use language in a different way and that that's really valid and that's what I was exploring in Eurydice Speaks. Um, and in Ismene's Survivable Resistance, I was looking at contemporary feminism and looking at how women who have a voice on um, social media or often get a lot of abuse and just sort of considering that how can women speak up and not have their life threatened and how that hasn't changed since antiquity and that Antigone is seen as a feminist hero because she spoke truth to power but she had to die to do that and it made me think her resistance wasn't survivable so it made me think about her sister Ismene and how she's still left standing at the end of the Greek tragedy so that we can imagine a different model, a different future for her. So I sort of looking at what's it like to survive um, and what sort of tools do you need to survive? That's why I wanted to speak using Ismene's voice again in a contemporary era. Um, I am curious now, you used a, a term I'm not familiar with, uh, broken narratives. Um, and it is very striking though, because I don't really know what it means. And yet, I feel like it very much resonates with when I've been reading both of these collections, um, in, both in terms of the forms that you've used throughout the books, as well as the story that you're trying to tell through the main characters in the books, Broken Narrative Scenes, correct? Could you explain what that means to me? Yeah, thank you. Um, I, I think what it means for me is that if you're not represented in the dominant narrative, then you have to you find your own way of expressing um, what's been silenced by the dominant narrative. Um, and um, I did some work in trauma studies and the idea that, as I said before, people who have had trauma may use language differently and they're piecing things together. They may not have all their memories. So, and I, and I just really wanted to esteem that as a really valid way of communicating that it's not a reason to discredit someone if they don't have a linear story. I love that description because to me it sounded like you could have put in the words poetry. Yeah, well, that's exactly right. So poetry is just a way for people to find their voice when they're in that situation and... Um, for intense experience um, and that's how poetry works through through metaphor um, through association and illusion and it's a means to knowledge um, self-knowledge as well as knowledge in general and that's a really valid way to get to knowledge Ismene's survivable resistance fascinated me because I don't know much about the Greek myths I'm not from um, that culture, but um, in the little bit of searching, internet searching I did, um, Antigone 
the sister was certainly the heroine, um, the star of the story. And mostly Ismaini was described as Antigone's sister. So I think I asked you before if there's a poem you could read um, that brings uh, Ismaini's um, sort of character to the fore. Yeah, look, thank you for that. You know, it, it is very Western and that's um, an assumption. Um, yeah, Ismaini and, and um, Antigone um, are sisters and they're the, daughter, the daughters of an incestuous um, parentage and they're, both their brothers have killed each other in a war. One brother has to be buried in honour and the other left out for the birds and Antigone is the one who says no I'm going to bury my brother and she's been seen and written very much about as a feminist hero and Ismaini's like well you know I can make peace with my dead in private um, so in in that way I think she was more autonomous and more outside of patriarchy because she didn't need to make it public so in that way she offers an alternative and Antigone says to her, look, if you're not going to help me, I hate you, you know. And Ismaini says, well, you do your thing. I don't agree if you're going to go do that and die. But, um, you know, just remember those who love you, love you still. And I think for me, that's um, a peaceful coexistence that respects difference and a much better model. So Antigone sort of took on the terms of patriarchy to resist. And I'm sort of saying Ismaini had another way. But the premise of this book was, you know, um, how do you then survive after the trauma is over? What tools would you need to survive or do you need to survive in general? And so this one is an example and it's called Ismaini in a 12-step program. I can tell you about powerlessness. Step one, knowing it is going to happen and being able to do nothing. Antigone chose to die rather than survive abuse. Pinned down his sweat dripping in my face, saying you may as well enjoy it. Something severed it. Wasn't love and sex, it was abuse from love. He didn't love me. All my abusers before that had loved me. I dreamt I was walking through the rubble of my family home. Seeking shelter there. I love them. That is what children do. Consequences of knowing things I could not believe. I had sex again with him to make him feel. I could have learnt. Not spent a life trying to make my abusers love me. If I'd been able to be present... My boyfriend's parting words, it's not the same. He came back 33 years later. Said he could have dealt with it better. Believing it, I knew it was not true. Sitting on the steps of ourselves, cleaning my feet. Constantly re-traumatising each other. I did my best not to survive it. Meet and repeat the annihilation in addiction. I'm here because I know about a lifetime of refusal. 
I dreamt I was painting. I wasn't in control of my medium and I had the wrong brushes. You don't have to believe to pray. Survival is the radical act. Wasn't I reason enough for her to stay alive? What is survivable resistance? Polynesis was already dead. I know the Greek tragedy thing, once it's set in motion, it must play out. But I'm still here to feel the sun on my body and the water to witness my blaring heart. My abuser was giving me admission, something my family could never give me. I have to grip the arms of my chair to stay present. I use sex to avoid intimacy. Did she love Polynesis more than life? Is that love? She made him her god. I get she felt like he was irreplaceable. What was I? But so was she, sister. I bury my dead in private. She needed it to be seen by other. Is to survive it to comply? She died to what they call sanity, logic, law, so I could live. She covered up that the first burial was mine. I couldn't stay in the house with Creon. I took off, got as far as Sydney before I met someone. We swam, drank, had lots of sex, moved on to the next beach whenever we wanted. A job at a magazine. The editor had sent everyone out. Lying on a hot rock by black water. The sound of metal balls being placed on the ground. I am left. I am what is left. My body a bargain with presence. Where things move in the breeze. It was the gaze of the train, the inevitability, the lake hollows the sound of voices. That was Claire Gaskin reading Ismene in a 12-step program from her book, Ismene's Survivable Resistance. You're listening to 3CR Spoken Word. Ross House has community meeting rooms available for hire at subsidised rates. Perfect for small meetings, student study groups, Zoom conferencing and seminars. Facilities include free Wi-Fi, display screens for presentations, projector and sound system and a Zoom conferencing system. HEPA filter units have been placed in every meeting room. You can book and pay via their website, rosshouse.org.au or contact reception during office hours on 9650-1599. Ross House is a 3CR supporter. You're listening to 3CR Community Radio 855 AM on digital and online. 3CR Radical Radio. We have here today at 3CR Spoken Word, Claire Gaskin. I'm going to make a little bit of a stretch. One thing that occurred to me as you were talking about Ismene's survivable resistance and different modes of living after tragedy or 
opposing patriarchy. A thing that occurred to me was many migration stories when people move from homelands to other places because of displacement and other tragedies. There's this sense of should I have stayed behind to fight? Did I have the right to go? Did I have a right to survive? Did I have a right to stay silent or you know stay quiet or do what I needed to do in order to survive? Um, and I wanted to recognize that resonance. Yeah, thank you. I I hope I understand what you're saying. I think there's something about when you leave. In my case, you know, family of origin and understanding, I couldn't save. Um, my sister, my mother, um, and yeah, having to live with that, and and I can understand what you're, the parallel there. Yeah, um, I was listening to a, a podcast about grieving, um, mm. and the quote from that podcast was, "Grieving is failed rescue." Mm. Yeah, and. I- that's beautiful, isn't it? And I, I some I can see the parallel between that and regret. Like with grief, there's can be a lot of what if I'd done this? What if I'd done that? Could have been different. Um, I and whereas in reality, it's it's grief that and it's trying to have some control. And you know, I could have rescued that person. Is in making that story, is just trying to have control and it's sort of over something you have no control over and it's masking the the grief. But I can understand that's the feeling. The other poem I was um, really interested in was uh, Poetry as Presence, which is uh, on page 21 of his Many Survivable Resistance. I was hoping you'd read it um, and maybe talk to us a little bit about what your Ars Poetica is, what your, you know, philosophy and and feeling around poetry is because I felt like this was what that this poem was about poetry as presence words rise to the surface fall back into salt sea the space between knowing and not the lemon tree rests its lemons on the shed roof just to close my eyes brings together my heart wearing out my body. The drawer spills, birds of blame. My hands spill, cross-hatched early life. A dark spot on the reading of my palm. Peeling back layers of need to the inner thigh of desire. It does not describe, it inhales. It holds its breath to listen. Um, it's really quite beautiful that you have identified that as this poem. That's a really astute reading. Thank you. It's, it's sometimes it's really feel seen. <laughs> um, one of my biggest sufferings is not feeling present. It's a symptom of PTSD, of trauma, of, of dissociation. And poetry for me is that real bringing together of the felt. If something's too intense to contain, it really helps me to write it out and to sort of write myself into existence. 
So when I see something written, for me, it, it, it has presence. And so my experience has presence. And there's something about giving language to feeling that poetry can do. And I think in this poem, like the space between knowing and not, those in-between spaces, and the importance of bringing together breath. I did listen to a podcast recently called Stressed Unstressed, and it was saying that reading poetry aloud is a really good way to regulate the nervous system. And I think it's more than just rhythm and breath. It's also that what metaphor can do. And it's also to in, the beauty of poetry to incorporate the unknown or the unknowable. And poetry can hold that. It can hold real intensity. It can hold not knowing. And, yeah, all of that equates to presence. Well, you heard it here first, listeners. Reading poetry is a great way to regulate your nervous system. 3CR spoken word. You're welcome. <laughs> you have poems like Ismaini's A 12-Step Program, which to me is gloriously narrative. Not necessarily a story from end to end, but you can see that picture in your head. Whilst to me, there are other poems that are more feel more like a fragment or a number of fragments or perhaps a, a number of still lifes in a gallery and somehow they still hold together as a whole. How do you choose the scenes that go into a poem? Um, there was a writer who said, I only trust fragments. And there's just something so beautiful about that being non-didactic. Placement's such a powerful thing. And then, I mean, that's how metaphor works. You put thing, two things together that haven't been put together before and you come up with something that maybe doesn't come out of either of those two things. It's a third thing. I do, interestingly, tend to write in a linear way. So I'll fill notebooks and then I'll go through them and look for the poetry in it. So I'll look for what what is, where is the poetry in my great diatribes? Of, and then place them together and see what they say. And so I'm sort of in that position of discovery. You know, what story are these fragments telling when they're placed together? So it's sort of like a tool to knowledge. Like I learn things about myself and by doing that. Um, Eurydice Speaks is a set of linked sonnets where each sonnet takes lines from the sonnet before. Um, and in that way, it's sort of a, a larger version of what we're talking about here, where the fragments not only exist within the poem, but side to side between the poems of the collection as a whole. How is that different in terms of working on it on the scale of an entire collection? I actually had fun doing that. I worked in a similar way, like um, taking out of my notebooks what I thought worked as poetry, and which is often the line. And I had a lot of fun, as you said, the sonnet pairs, so the and working in the second one with um, noun substitution, which meant that often it retained the alliteration. So it sort of was a felt to me like a way of getting underneath 
the first word with the second repetition of the word being the Ulipo thing of, of um, seven words later in the dictionary or some variant of that. So it, 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 I suppose it took it a bit further, that idea. Like, So you've got the fragment and then you've got, you know, by substituting the noun, um, to me it's like what that word brings, what the word originally brings with it and what's under it. I had a lot of fun. That was fun. It was playful. I'm going to jump right in and see how you feel about reading Sonnet 35 from Eurydice Speaks. Sure. She is alive in wakefulness. Dying, my mother looked at me like she didn't know me. In that moment, I was known. The space between objectifications is his desertion. The time between eventualities is his distance. The tomb is unmade as you read it aloud. He won't be distracted by the sunset. Fabric restless in the weakness of unexpressed grief. Closing regret over the speckled eggs of my eyes. If I smell you, I incarnate. The taste of the bay in my mouth. I hold sleeplessness to my chest like the baby we didn't have. I fight fog and fulfilment. Anger clears my head. Thank you. I love that last line. I have to admit that I really enjoyed hearing you read it. One of the reasons was because I read it in my head as I fight fog and fulfilment anger clears my head. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> because for me, there's something very fulfilling about anger and fulfillment anger seemed to me to be something that echoed in common between both of these collections, anger and how to survive it as well as make it something that is our lifeblood rather than sucks out our lifeblood. I think that's a beautiful word to make one word, fulfillment anger. <laughs> Anger gives you yourself back. When you're angry, you're getting yourself back. It's important sometimes. Thank you, Claire. Um, Do you have any shows coming up that um, we can tell our listeners about? Yeah, I'm doing um, a reading for the City of Melbourne Libraries, Biblioteca, on the 31st of August, Ligon Street, Carlton. So come along, 7 o'clock. That should be fun. And we can get your books. It's really great to um, ask your independent booksellers to get them in. Or otherwise you can go to my website, clairegaskinpoetry.com and order um, the books from the publisher. Um, I just want to really thank you, Es, for your, for your beautiful sensitivity in looking at my work. You're welcome. Do you think you could take us out with death? Sure. that's generally what takes us out isn't it (laughs) that's great death sleep absorbs me as paper towel absorbs water dream reflects life lived backwards 
The moon is pulled, smoothed, into edgeless stones. In the throat of the river, dropped into the green ocean swallow, glass ball. The life force, the love force. The life force is so strong, it forces me to breathe. Breathing in, I know I am breathing in. Breathing out, I know I am breathing out. I have the authority to say this. Breathing in, I know love is being loved. Breathing out, I let go and allow love being. Thank you, Greg. Thank you so much for having me. You have been listening to the Spoken Word Show on 3CR Community Radio. We heard today from Claire Gaskin in conversation with Waffle Iron Girl about her latest books, Eurydice Speaks and Ismania's Survivable Resistance. You can find Claire's work on the internet at clairegaskinpoetry.com. And if today's show raised issues for you, support is available at the Women's Information and Referral Exchange on 1300 134 130 or on the web at wire.org.au. As always, a podcast of today's show is available from www.3cr.org.au forward slash spoken dash word. And please tune in every Thursday on 855am at 9 in the morning and also support 3CR by becoming a subscriber to the station. Help keep grassroots poetry and radio on the air. My name is Brendan Bonsack. Thank you for listening. (laughs) 